Here's to the finest crew in Starfleet. Engage. Welcome to the Greatest Generation Deep Space Nine. It's a Star Trek podcast by a couple of guys who are just a little bit embarrassed about having a Star Trek podcast. I'm Adam Pranica. I'm Ben Harrison. Just turned off the space heater in my in my studio. You got the heat on. It's 70 degrees out there, man. This building is made out of cinder blocks, and they get all cold overnight. And it doesn't it doesn't warm up because I put insulation in the roof. That was like one of the big expensive things we did when we moved in as I, I insulated my studio. But what it means is it just stays cold as hell. You know what? That's the recipe for uh, for wearing a little blanket over your legs <laughs> all the time when you're doing a show. <laughs> I'm just like John Voight wheeling around in my office chair playing <laughs> FDR. I'm really excited for uh, for when we go over the did you like portion of the episode and you summon the will to stand up from your office chair. <laughs> A historically, I stand to make my point. The Michael Bay version of the did you like. <laughs> Very inspirational. It's crazy that, uh, that for all of the things that Michael Bay's Pearl Harbor uh <laughs> <laughs> that, that people hated about that movie, that was like 10th on the list. Oh, yeah. If that. I mean, yeah. come on. Do, were you excited for that movie before it came out? I was so excited. I think I told you this, that when we saw the trailer for that. Mm-hmm. One of the great trailers, I thought. We're in the theater to see some other movie, and the trailer plays for Michael Bay's Pearl Harbor, and it finishes playing, and my mom leans over to me and goes, now that's filmmaking. <laughs> I'll never forget that. That's like one of the funniest things she's ever done. <laughs> I wish there were more opportunities for, much like a, an author gets blurbs for their book on the back to entice you <laughs> yeah, yeah. to buy their book. There should be more things with mom blurbs. Oh, yeah. You know? The mom blurb is such a specific thing. <laughs> it really is. I mean, I feel like you kind of have to know the mom to know... To know what that blurb means. Like, you, you, you've met my mom several times. You know what she means when she says, now that's filmmaking. I mean, your mom is a great lady. And what I would take that to mean is that it's sincere. Yeah. And that is, in fact, great filmmaking. It was 10 out of 10 sincerity. The thing is, she wasn't wrong. Because that trailer is everything that could possibly be good about the film that followed. Unfortunately, <laughs> that was it. They skimmed the cream off the, like a thin, thin layer of cream off the surface of that movie and put that put it in the trailer. And then all of the rest of the movie was like, what is this? <laughs> Pearl Harbor was great for exactly three minutes. <laughs> <laughs> I think it also, I mean, I don't want to make this a Pearl Harbor podcast, but I think it also like felt really laser targeted at her because she was an Air Force brat and she spent part of her teenage years in Hawaii. Like her dad was stationed there. I mean, we don't want to bite the rhymes of the Pearl Harbor podcast, a pod that will live in infamy. <laughs> I mean, that show is already out there. Mm hmm. And if it's not already out there, what are you doing? I just conjured it. Yeah, you just you just invented a whole new podcast. Yeah, I think uh, I bet if you called up our buddy Chuck Bryant and we're uh, and we're like, hey, do you want to do a minute by minute Pearl Harbor podcast called a Pod that will live in infamy? <laughs> I bet he would take you up on that deal. Hey, Chuck, it's Adam Pranica. Uh-huh. got a proposition for you. I want to do a podcast called A Pod That Will Live in Infamy, where we watch Michael Bay. You know, dude, I, uh, well, I got a lot on my plate. Sure. But I don't want to wreck what you are trying to do, but I, I I don't think I'm interested in being a part of it. Michael Bay's Pearl Harbor is 300 minutes. I know. That would be... <laughs> you, could make, <laughs> a, you could make six years of content out of that thing. I'd like that quite a bit. I have been looking for other projects. <laughs> that would be a delight. That would be great. A friend of the podcast, Chuck Bryant, would hate that. 
friend of the podcast and best-selling author. Do you know that their uh, Stuff You Should Notebook is like a New York Times bestseller? Yeah. The only mark against Chuck Bryant is that we've, for some reason, given him veto power on the crossover <laughs> episodes we do <laughs> with Friendly Fire and him. That's the true. War movie podcast. Yeah. yeah. We kind of got it. We, we almost had beef with Chuck Bryant over the summer because of because of a misunderstanding about what Friendly Fire episode we were going to make with him. Yeah, um, I believe, and we've gotten this note before about Friendly Fire by a Reddit commenter in particular who was like, I wish Friendly Fire only did good movies. (laughs) I would say that that's most commenters. I didn't read the user tag of that person, but it could have been you slash Chuck Bryant. Yeah, I would say that it's likely that it was. I mean, it's annoying that we have to do bad movies for that show. We don't always know that they're bad going in, though. And sometimes we disagree. You know, you, you for example, loved Pearl Harbor, and John and I hated it. Look, I think the one thing that you know about me more than any other quality is that I'm a completionist. <laughs> We're going to do all the war movies for Friendly Fire. Yeah. Including the bad ones. We're going to do... Just as we have done all, all of the Star, Star Trek, Trek The Next episodes. Generation, including the bad ones, and all of Deep Space Nine, including the bad ones. We, <laughs> we had a runner about not being completionists. Those vetoes, yeah. they really worried some people. One of the best parts of that show. Yeah. I feel like my knowledge of Voyager is a little bit better than my knowledge of Deep Space Nine. Are we bringing vetoes back? We could. I mean... I. I would have an unfair advantage because my sense, the sense that I get is that your knowledge of Voyager is fairly, fairly limited, right? It's not limited. It's non-existent. You never watched it at all? I think I saw Year of Hell, that two-parter. That's a classic. And that might have been it. Wow. Right now I'm I'm thinking about (laughs) Brie Belke, like putting her face in her hands, just shaking with anger at me. Now, remind me, Year of Hell is the episode about Voyager traveling back to 2020? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and then uh, and then Janeway crashes the ship into... Uh... <laughs> what does she crash it into, Ben? I don't know. I, I was going to say, but that would uh, put me on a list I don't want to be on. Yeah. <laughs> the San Francisco Bay, man. Right. Right, that's an easy one. No yeah. one's going to get hurt like that. Yeah, maybe crash into a humpback whale. But there's plenty of those now. Yeah, they really fucked their way out of uh, being endangered. Yeah. Good for them. Yeah. I think there's like tens of thousands of humpbacks now. Now the ocean is just foamy with whale sperm. Yeah. <laughs> and sperm just, whales, you know, both. Honestly, it's too much. Yeah. Get a room, whales. Whales famously... Uh, Finding beds unnecessary to do their business, but in today's episode, beds and their associated fellows, very much a thing. Indeed. Do you want to get into Season 7, Episode 19, Strange Bedfellows? Do you realize how incredible this is? (laughs) No, of course you don't. 19 just feels like we're almost at the end. It blew me away that we were on Episode 19. Wayun is psyched to watch Worf and Esri do it in the opening scene. That was the biggest takeaway for me. <laughs> Worf and Esri are brought to the wedding chamber that was uh, hinted on in the in the final scene of the last episode. This this Breen Dominion unification is a big big deal, and Wayun is gloating about this. He and says, also, "Welcome to the Tick. Now in, we invite you to bone in prison." <laughs> I find interspecies mating rituals fascinating to watch. And what's going on here seems pretty pervy, doesn't it? Which is all the more confusing because in subsequent scenes, Worf and Ezri are like hanging by their legs yeah, and stuff. Like, how does he expect them to do anything? You can't physically comfort yourself when you're upside down. Can't be done. Unless you're David Carradine. <laughs> Yeah, David Carradine, famous upside-down comer. <laughs> yeah, he tried to hang himself right-side up and come, and it went very badly for him. Yeah. When, you, when you're when you an autoerotic asphyxiation man, that's called the stranger. Yeah, I mean, 
hanging upside down makes me think that that you could rightly be called the Batman. I'm not going to bury another Batman. Yeah. Uh, We get a scene where Change Leader comes up to the bridge of the tick and she's super flaky, maybe even flakier than she was in the last episode. And, yeah. uh, and she kind of like gets herself together a little bit. It's, it's sort of what, like she does for herself, sort of what I do when somebody's taking a photo of me and I'm in a bathing suit, like kind of suck everything in, try and try and look presentable for the camera. She doesn't want the, the brain leader to, to know how sick she is. Yeah. So she sucks in her flakes. <laughs> the brain leader, his name is Gore. Their name is Gore. I don't know what gender they are, but uh, the their rank is Thought. Thought Gore. Thought Gore. That hoe over there, Gore. <laughs> I couldn't believe my ears. True enough. <laughs> and uh, we we never hear words spoken by the Breen. It's all static and crackles. Yeah, they make fun of Damar for not having his. Universal Translator, like, I don't know. I don't know if he, like, didn't download the app update before they left or something. But he can't understand them initially, but then later he can, but we still can't. And I feel like Star Trek almost never does that to us. It never pulls this Star Wars thing of somebody is beeping and booping or speaking an alien language, and everyone is just like, yeah, I know what Chewbacca means when he says... I think the show has made quite an investment in making Damar a sympathetic character, and I think this is part of it. He's frustrated by being unable to understand what's going on around him and what people are saying, and by putting the viewer in that same position, uh, I think that's a part of this whole deal. I wondered what he was going through on this ship, because I know that if you get really addicted to alcohol and then you like stop drinking it for a long stretch you can have withdrawal symptoms Mm -hmm. and it kind of seems like he goes for a lot of this episode without being in binge mode Mm -hmm. and i wondered if he was like suffering under those conditions in a way that was just left uh, implied yeah he's really going through some things clearly and that's another aspect to him that that makes him sympathetic. He's pissed about the treaty, right? Like the Breen are going to be coming into the Dominion and part of the treaty between the Dominion and the Breen that Damar is being asked to sign has him signing away swaths of Cardassian territory, entire planets to the Breen. And he's like, what the fuck, man? Like, I don't even know which planets I'm signing away. I don't want to do that. You were implying that Cardassian territory doesn't belong to the founders. Surely that isn't what you meant. He needs to get the wet version of the contract, Ben. The uh, the wet version is something you and I have been recently made aware of. Yeah. When you when you do business with certain entities, it's not enough to do a digital signature. There's also DocuSign the will not suffice. <laughs> yeah, there there is not DocuSign wet yet uh, that we're aware of. Though <laughs> so that might be a uh, a North Hollywood bit of business. I'll have the burrito mojado and the contracto mojado, por favor. Right. It isn't just irritating to Demar; it's actually threatening. Because you never want to sign a contract you haven't read. Damar is doing the diligence of having read the contract, and he's still not getting any information that he needs from it. Oh, you needn't worry about that. He clearly has a a problem with alcohol, but is also, like, capable enough to, when somebody gives him an iPad with a contract in it, like, read through it and, like, catch shit that is fucked up about it. And uh, just a note, this is the baseline level of incredulity that DeMar will be feeling this episode. This is outrageous. It's all upward from here. (laughs) (laughs) Because there's also a situation on Septimus 3 that Mm -hmm. could uh, end up being a bloodbath, Ben. DeMar wants to deviate the Klingons <laughs> that are currently uh, there, but uh, Wayun wants him to take a deep breath before making any decisions. He's like, I wish I could, but I need that operation. <laughs> I'm reluctant to get it, though, because I've heard it's very painful. Yeah. Talk to Thought Gore. Express your concerns. Back on Deep Space Nine, Martok and Siskow are gloating about how excited they are that the Septimus Three campaign is going so well 
in a way that like later in the episode this scene seemed like really fucked up to me because we find out that this is what this represents is half a million Cardassians being killed. Old men and walking wounded. They don't stand a chance. I think you're right. This is going great. <laughs> Captain Sisko's like, uh, it's it's great for us. Septimus for the rest of us. <laughs> <laughs> Martok is all about them feats of strength. Martok pivots much like Captain Sisko did in the last episode from the business to the personal mm-hmm. because uh, because he's there. He was not present at Ben Sisko's wedding, uh, which was unfortunate. My invitation must have been lost in the mail. No matter. I congratulate you on the fortuitous marriage of you to that freighter captain. Let us agree that marriage is terrible. <laughs> We are two long-suffering men, beset on all sides by the wills of our wives. This story that he tells about Sorella basically killing his dog <laughs> is awful. And it, and if we had heard this story before we met Sorella, I would have liked her even less. Yeah, totally insane. <laughs> Sorella totally duck Phillips Martok's targ. What more do you need to know? <laughs> if you were looking for a podcast that combined uh, Mad Men references with Star Trek Deep Space Nine characters, this you is found the place. it. Yeah, welcome. Yeah. <laughs> you are home. It's a fun story told well by a by a fun actor, but the story itself horrifying. I mean, I I think that it's like interesting character building for Martok, though, right? Because what he describes love and marriage as is an intoxicating war like the fact that there is conflict in his marriage is the thing for him and i know marriages like this where like i have couple friends where the conflict is what they're there for and it's it's like i could not live like that it can be a little unsettling for very conflict averse people like you and i it can be unsettling when you go out to dinner together (laughs) i know yeah I had a friend in college who just, it was like a 10 out of 10, like, debate or fight, one of the two, whenever whenever his girlfriend was around. And I would, like, try and, like, calm things down and counsel them. And he pulled me aside at one point. He was like, like no, like, me and Tammy like that. That's what we want. <laughs> and I was like, oh. My grandparents used to fight like that. Like, I was a very little kid when I would go stay with my grandparents, and they would fight hard wow. all the time. Like, my granddad got out of a moving vehicle one time mid-fight. Like, that's how <laughs> hard they would fight. And I'm in the back like, what the fuck? Like, or whatever the equivalent is to an eight-year-old. Yeah. What do eight-year-olds but, say for what the fuck? <laughs> but they, they loved each other very much. Yeah. That's sweet. Yeah. Hey, speaking of love, Adam... Gal Dukat and uh, and Kai Win literally feeding each other fruit in bed, and they're making Solbor bring the fruit. Are you happy, Adami? More than I've ever been in my life. First you want to kill me, now you want to kiss me. Blow. Yeah, they go from one fruit bowl to the next. Looks like. <laughs> yeah. Better better fruit bowl than you usually get in a hotel like this, right? Like I didn't see any honeydew melon on this plate. And that uh, that really speaks well of the accommodations on Deep Space Nine. Post-coital fruit platter, uh, kind of a nice thing to have, I think. Yeah. Put the electrolytes back up, get the blood sugar <laughs> equalized. Yeah. And like, if there's pineapple on that plate, it might speak well of the next time you get down. Gold cotton. Cut. The cut. So. This is a scene that made me wonder, at what point do you foresee Gold becoming Kai? Mm. And this is probably a question that reveals to everyone listening that I've never seen the end of this show or <laughs> makes me a prophet makes for, you, yeah. for guessing. <laughs> yeah, they're they're in this scene scheming on the emissary. And, you know, Kai Wen is kind of wondering if she's going to have the strength to do it. But it, it's also interesting because they've really, like, fallen into this dynamic. Like, the two of us are going to do what the prophets mm-hmm. ask us to do together. But we are, like, still waiting for the call. We don't know what the mission is going to be just yet. Yeah, and so it's all about uh, this this mutual confidence building between the two of them. Right. And where do you build confidence, Adam? The mirror. <laughs> 
I really, yeah. This is a uh, episode directed by Rene Aubergenois, and a large portion of this scene takes place in the reflection of the vanity mirror on Kai Wynn's desk. Yeah. like that. It's fun to take an angle like that when you're directing a scene this way. I pray that I'll have the strength to do what the prophets are asking of me. Speaking of love, Adam... <laughs> In the next scene, Worf and Ezri are comforting themselves in in that animalistic way, hanging from the ceiling. I think you got to tease the hair out a little more for this scene if you're setting it up, right? <laughs> yeah. If, I if, didn't get the sense they were in this position very long because, uh, because the hair isn't totally blown out. If Worf hadn't been in his bun, I feel like mm-hmm. then... Then we would have seen some shit, right? You can hear it in his voice, though. It it sounds like it's a strain to be hanging upside down if you're Michael Dorn. I doubt that is what our captors had in mind. This is another moment where where we're with people being tortured, and then we cut back across to Cisco like chilling out and living <laughs> his normal life. Yeah, cooking, not thinking about the fact that Worf and Ezri are missing still. It's not a good look. Did Worf and Ezri come up one single time in the last episode? I was like, I don't think they did. I'm thinking back on the episode where initially Ezri jaked the shuttle and Odo presses Ben Sisko on why he's just going to let her do it. And then he goes, you know, Dax gone Dax. <laughs> and that being the last time it's ever brought up. Yeah. I feel like something could have happened there constructively that forgave all of the scenes that followed where it seems like Cisco is ignoring that situation in a cruel kind of way. Because, like, over the course of this episode, the concern increases on the station. But we know that it's been, like, at least a week at this point. Yeah. So very concerning that uh, that nobody has even brought it up. And... The, this is a scene about the intoxicating war beginning. Right, because Cassidy has returned from a cargo run while Cisco's at the oven Ow! preparing a meal. And uh, she mentioned something about things changing between her and the Bajoran crew, which is like, finally, we get some Cassidy Yates, at least a little bit of agnosticism from her about the profit thing. Right. And... I, I think this is interesting. This creates an interesting dynamic. The thing that I don't agree with in this scene is that you should never start an argument with someone who's preparing your food. Right. <laughs> and that's what Cassidy does. Yeah, because he, he invites her to like run some ceremony he does for women that want to get pregnant. And like he, he's like it, like, it would really mean a lot to them if you gave them your blessing or, or whatever. And she's like, I'm for sure never, never going to do that. That's not my bag. I didn't convert to your your religion and I'm not going to do it. I'm, instead, I'm going to go take a shower. And he has like a, a jar of spices in his hands when she slams the door on his dick and he switches to a different jar of spices when she yeah. does that. And I was Is like... Is the suggestion that those are spices that she hates? Yeah, for sure he just like put ghost chilies in the fucking jambalaya. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Cassidy will be taking another shower later on in the evening. (laughs) It's an intoxicating war, Adam. An intoxicating war. And so, the battle begins. Speaking of love, Adam, Worf and Ezri are collaborating on a project of trying to pry a pin out from underneath the cot in their cell on Cardassia Prime, which is where they've been brought. By change leader's tick. The pride does not go well, Enterprise, especially for Esri, who bonks her noggin and cuts her finger and blames all of this on Worf. Are you hurt? Call me Mr. Butterfingers. It seems like she would be the one to work underneath the bunk, though, given how big he is, right? I know. It doesn't make sense. She can get in there easy. I mean, what really caused the bonk is this argument about who seduced who when they crashed on that planet a few episodes ago. <laughs> and this is brewing into a full-throated argument. The insults start flying back and forth. Like, she calls calls him a giant ego, and 
they're they're pissed at each other. I mean, pissed because they they fucked on on the planet, and I think they're both basically embarrassed about it. I seduced you. At least we agree on that point. What? And they don't get the opportunity to go to their separate corners and and be alone with it. Like yeah. they've got to confront it and each other for all this time that they're together. Mm-hmm. Because Wei Yun at the beginning was like, put them in the same cell so that the dramatic tension can be higher. Right. Wei Yun uh, is there to introduce even more stress yeah. to them because they're war criminals now, Ben. Yeah. And they're due to stand trial, uh, a trial in which they will be found guilty and executed. He comes in with this iPad and he's like, this is, you know, when they put the clip show devices on you guys last episode... Yeah, it didn't work great. So if you guys could clear up a couple of the like Mad Libs parts of this, uh, that would be great. And uh, he kind of puts Esri's horniness for Julian Bashir on main in a way that really crushes Gwarf. Like you can see the like third party confirmation of Worf's worst fears realized and. Just a relentless trip to the ball-kicking machine for him. Worf's violence is so instantaneous here. It was pretty terrifying. Like, if all it takes is the reference of something to irritate him, to get him into neck-snapping mode... (laughs) What if every time Bashir came up for the rest of the season, Worf killed a man? Yeah, Worf does this neck-snap with the confidence and skill of a man who's done this a thousand times before. Yeah. And it's in a situation that DeMar has seen maybe a thousand times before. I mean, it doesn't even make his dick move positions. You should have killed me. There's only one DeMar. <laughs> this does nothing for him, seeing Wei-Yoon die. Yeah. So, uh, Wei-Yoon dead, and DeMar's like, I don't really give a shit. Like, I'm kinda, I've kind of lost the zeal of my allegiance. Like, he hasn't lost his allegiance, but... Someone sprinkle some cat litter... Over Wayun's body. We'll, uh, <laughs> go on with the rest of our day. That's going to start to smell in a few days. Yeah. That's some rugged torture right there. You leave Wayun's body in the cell. Yeah. To me, this is like a pretty long time now that Damar has gone not being drunk. Mm-hmm. And the next scene is Kai Wynn getting, getting faded again. And I feel like at this point, in the episode, I'm going like, wow, like they have really changed roles. Like now Wynn is the lush and Damar is like serious villain guy. They're at that point in a new relationship where uh, where they fucked a lot. Mm-hmm. And now is the time where you get to know the person you've been fucking so much lately. Who are you? The worst nightmare. I mean, I want to know everything. Yeah, I loved the part of my relationship with my wife where she never got out of a white gossamer robe. <laughs> yeah. Kaiwin's not going to be wearing white for long. <laughs> the wine that they're drinking is also the like really fancy shit, right? The gift wine? Yeah. For uh for the Cisco wedding? Yeah. It's got to hurt. She's uh she, she it's it's a pre-war vintage and uh and she's given it to Ducat. Gold Ducat's like uh it tastes a little different not drinking it out of a hollowed out Bajoran skull. Uh, I mean, um, not drinking it out of a hot because I would never right, do that. I would never do that. I'm a, I'm a man of the land uh, with a plan. Sure. <laughs> I wear a caftan. I drive a van. <laughs> Definitely not a Cardassian. Kaiwin is interrupted by a prophet vision mm-hmm. in the scene. What she believes to be a prophet vision. Uh, she gets right on the ground and starts slicking boot. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and mid, like, after about the seventh or eighth boot that gets licked, uh, what she believes were the prophets reveal themselves to be pares. Twist! At which point she's like, patooey. <laughs> Gross. These are not the boots I thought I was licking. I mean, I knew boots weren't supposed to taste good, but this is ridiculous. Right, and this is a shattering moment for Kai Wynn. Because she believed that she was talking to the prophets the last time, and this reveal shakes her to her core. She definitely wanted to be doing a mission for the prophets and is loyal to them. Did you understand what the Cisco Pa Wraith had in its hand? Yeah, that's a weird reference. It 
Is it a is it like a branch Pyrathian earring? I wonder if it was in reference to the story she told in the last episode about the jewels that she traded. Because mm. they it looked it didn't look quite like a a earring or a necklace to me. It looked like it looked like stones of some kind. Yeah, I couldn't decode it. Um, I'd be curious to to know what that was about. We've gotten a version of Louise Fletcher's Kai Win for so long that to get this gear out of her, I thought was a real treat. The shattered Kai Win. Yeah. The uh, the the not confident version, the not scheming version, the the Kai Win that's lost it all. And that was just a really great performance. I did too. And one thing I really loved about this moment at the end of the vision is in the vision she she shouts no and she's also shouting no in reality and they cut right in the middle of the no. So it's like one word carried across two planes of existence in the edit. No! No! And it was really effective. I, I, I really liked that touch. In the aftermath of this, Kai Wen needs Golducat to bring her the orb in order to get forgiveness. Yeah. She's got to get into some kind of council. She's got to get right with gods. And Golducat's happy to do this. Once he once he leaves and go to, goes out into the hallway, uh, he is smiling ear to ear. This plan is going great for him. Yeah, he starts whistling. He clicks his heels together. He buys two Jumja sticks. <laughs> Out on the promenade and 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 licks them both. Yeah. On Cardassia, Demard is uh is into the bottle when Wayun Eight walks in. Yeah. It seems like he's maybe just getting started, but he's like he's really having a great time. Yeah. He's back on the sauce. The death of a Wayun is is always worthy of celebration. You know, their prisoners are going to get executed. It's all scheduled. It's it's going great. They're not going to be per, uh, participating in any. Uh, filling in of gaps. And uh, Wayun also uh, invites the Breen into the command center, into the into the room. They can see the big board. And this kind of freaks Damar out. His his mood really turns in this moment because the Breens start like looking through the computer systems. There are classified databases and stuff. And Wayun has really just thrown the doors wide open to these guys. When the Breen join the tour group at Cheyenne Mountain, they assume they also have computer access. <laughs> yeah. And no one's stopping them. This is this is filling Damara with consternation. Yeah. Because this is the moment where he realizes that he's been demoted below Thought Gore. This is a huge embarrassment for him. And Wayun's like, nothing I can do, bro. This comes right from Trains Leader. She fucking hates your guts. You know she hates you, right? This yeah. can't be a surprise. You're always complaining about the thermostat. Yeah. I was telling you to stop complaining. But you didn't listen. I will not. I love that Esri and Worf's jailbreak scene pays off. With yeah. the jailbreak. Like, the door is open, which is something I'd never expected Worf to be able to do. They're, and they're out, and then like the music swells, and like we get we get the action scene. I'm like, yes, they're they're getting the hell out of here. They're phasering guys in the like carpeted hallways of the Cardassian detention center. We cut to that angle around the corner, and then it's over. Like it's over as fast as it starts. Yeah, they're surrounded. Worf Worf takes one in the leg. He's kind of fucked up. Um, yeah. But yeah, the the escape does not go well. Enterprise. Yeah. Back on Deep Space Nine, at the bar, Quark has been keeping a sort of vigil for Esri, where he he fills a glass with her favorite, I don't know, wine or something. The bar crew is really worried about Esri. Not a line about Worf in this entire scene, but Bashir O'Brien and Quark, very sad that Esri's gone. (laughs) They all agree to maybe say something to Captain Sisko about maybe trying to get them back at some point. They haven't decided who's going to do that. Maybe when the bloom is off the rose with the wedding a little bit, you know. Let's give him a couple of weeks, but... I love that Quark is like the dancer from the Dirty Vegas Days Go By video. 
He's pouring the drink to bring her back, Ben. <laughs> One of these days, Esri's going to come walking through those doors again, and this drink is going to be sitting right here waiting for her when she does. It seems like more of a waste of booze than Quark would typically be interested in, though. I thought about you can tell that, that's, yeah. like That's how strong his feelings are, is that he's willing to lose a little bit the margin on whatever beverage that is must be really big right like it's yeah. like i'm i'm not really losing that much profit i like that bashir in the scene kind of eulogizes his relationship to esri and can't quite even get the words out yeah the the way he is like kind of lost in a reverie he's like not in control of his own own emotions that he can't form a coherent thought almost and he's a super genius yeah so you know if he can't make the words Something's really wrong. <laughs> Something bad is happening. Yeah. So uh, the orb arrives in Kai Wynn's quarters, and Kai Wynn is ready to open them doors <laughs> and get into it with the orb. But when she does, nothing happens. Yeah. It is a huge bummer. And it made me, I thought really hard about what's supposed to happen when you open the doors. Like, do, do you get right into it immediately? And there's that pregnant moment where Kaiwen opens the doors to the orb and nothing happens. She's like washed that in she that is, bright white light. She's devastated. Yeah. No! No! And this is where Angel slash Ducat can kind of unveil the prestige. <laughs> yeah. He takes it out. <laughs> he reveals that he did not stumble into her office as a wayward farmer looking for a blessing for his next month's crop. He's been working with the branch Pyrathians the entire time and like she starts to like freak out and struggle with him. She fucking slaps him with the weakest slap maybe we've ever seen on TV and it made me wonder if they had some sort of deal on set about how hard Louise Fletcher was going to slap Mark Alamo. Yeah. Like, I really wanted to take the bark off of him a little bit. <laughs> I, I thought it was kind of interesting because I I almost interpreted it like like she starts like pounding on his chest and, and, and it really feels like she's pulling it, but it also kind of feels like she is so weakened by mm-hmm. this kind of collapse of her concept of reality that she like has no fight in her. That makes sense. And... He is, like, giving her the Branch Parathian pitch, right? Like, the the prophets didn't do anything during the occupation. They turned their backs on Bajor. Like, why are you venerating these gods that don't give a shit about you? Kind of, kind of a line. And when you hear this list of indignities, it's fairly persuasive. Right. It's what's persuasive about atheism in general. It's like, why is right. the world so fucking terrible if... There's some loving God somewhere. Gold Ducat's like, look, we're just going to need to uh, to brand you <laughs> with the uh, GDK yeah. initials yeah. right here. It's not weird. You're going to think it's the initials for Angel, but it's actually the initials for Gold Ducat. Right. We're going to slot you into a real master-servant situation <laughs> here. Yeah. Now, I'm going to need you to text me some pictures of your butt. Yeah. But what's interesting about this scene is, like, I think a weaker episode would have had Kaiwin capitulate in the face of all of this, all of this proof that Golducat's giving her that that she's been fucking up the entire time. And at the end of this scene, Kaiwin is seeming to reject the offer. Yeah, she tells him to fuck off, and then she is like slumped against the wall, basically begging this orb to tell her what to do because she is so terrified that she has spent even a few moments in league with the bads. I love this bit of business here with how this shot and this scene is composed because we're in on Louise Fletcher as she's doing the begging and we're pulling out. Yeah. And I don't think a viewer can be sure that she's not begging Gul Dukat in this scene. Yeah. And when it's finally revealed to be the the orb box, there was a little bit of relief on my part, seeing that she is of the same mind as she was in the in the previous scene. Right. With that desperation to uh, to have a proper profit experience and one that can forgive her. She summons Colonel Kira to her quarters and. Uh, 
I feel like the Kai Wynn crisis of faith scene and confession to Colonel Kira is why you cast Louise Fletcher. Yeah. Like, this is like two giants of acting in a really intense scene together. Like, Nana Visitor and Louise Fletcher hitting this ball back and forth was so intense. I love that when it's clear that Kai Wynn has misunderstood what Kira is really saying, like the, the subtext of her advice, there's something so threatening about that moment because like initially this is a power imbalance, right? Kai Wynn has asked for help from a Kira who is giving that help and it appears for a moment that they are on the same level. Right. But once Kai Wynn decides that uh, that this is bad advice, that she's not going to take for action, of course she's not going to stop being Kai. She seizes that power right back. Yeah. And it's scary the moment she does. It really is. It, the, the dynamics in the scene like really blew my hair back because yeah. Kai Wynn brings Kira in because she has lost her direction. Like she feels backed into a corner she is she's betrayed she she almost has nothing and mm-hmm. by the end of the scene she is like back to full scary villain in a way that really surprised me Bajor needs me and you could say scarier as a villain because now she's less predictable it almost feels like she brought Kira in because Kira is like the thing that she bounces against as a villain so often mm-hmm. That just the idea of bringing Kira in is like enough for her to recalibrate and remember what she stands for. It's interesting that twice in successive episodes, we've had a major Bajoran religious figure ask Kira for advice. Mm-hmm. And both times that advice has been rejected, both by Cisco <laughs> and by Kai Wynn here, right? Kira's got to start getting a little bit. Uh, a little bit nervous about what this means. <laughs> yeah, I think she's going to start turning down invitations. Yeah, uh, sorry, I don't, I don't really give advice to major figures in my religion anymore. It's just not gone well for me in the past. <laughs> Both Captain Cisco and Kai Wynn have asked Kira for advice about how to start a podcast, and neither <laughs> of them took <laughs> the advice that Kira gave. <laughs> that feels familiar. Yeah, great scene with. Uh, Wei Yoon and the Breen yucking it up and Damar is revealed to be in the room and uh, they're saying like oh yeah like this this part of the war is going super well and Damar is like yeah but the Septimus thing like we talked about the Septimus at the beginning of the episode and how important it was to deal with that and uh, I got the Septimus pole and everything yeah. we're gonna do feats of strength yeah we're gonna <laughs> do the airing of grievances I mean, this is yeah. going to be a whole thing. Have you not heard me the entire time? I've been airing grievances. <laughs> Jay Peterman came. Like, people are enthusiastic about this for once. This is the tipping point. Damar is very angry about this Septimus 3 situation, and this confrontation with Weyoun 8 goes poorly. Listen, I will explain. No! The half a million loyal Cardassians that were left to perish did not get any backup. Nobody came to save the day for them. And Wayun is like, yeah, because we were letting the Klingons commit tons of resources to Septimus Three, which doesn't have any strategic importance. This is going awesome for us. Like, this, this Breen Alliance is great. Uh, and if Cardassians have to suffer at times to serve the founders, then it's their honor to do so. The suffocation at Septimus Three will never be forgotten. <laughs> Demar's never going to get over this. Yeah, so he kind of storms out of the room. Wayun and, and uh, Thotgor make a comment about how hard it is to get a day's work out of Demar these days, and another Breen in the corner goes, "Wow, this kitty has claws." <laughs> Only it's like. <laughs> And then we get the famous scene where Damar chucks a glass of Kadar against a mirror. It is so nasty. That mirror is never going to be the same. Yeah, you can't clean that. Like You'd have to put it through like a dishwasher. You're going to need one of those razor blades to uh, <laughs> like, like that you get bubble gum out, of a, out yeah. of a piece of concrete floor with. 
Yeah. Great moment. Indeed. The viscosity really makes all the difference here. Yeah. If only the bottle of canard that uh, uh, our listener made for us had that much viscosity to it. Oh, well. Yeah. So Esri and Worf are starting to lose hope and accept their fate as people about to be executed. Yeah. But uh, it, they still have enough time to argue about Esri and Jadzia and why the situation has been so challenging for them. I hate to burst your bubble, Worf, but it wasn't that good. I really liked this scene. I like both them blocking, which is pretty simple, but very like elegant and and well done and the kind of color palette of the scene are really nice like it's it's dark but then when when there's any light it's it's these deep rich reds and browns Mm -hmm. and they're kind of having this scene where they agree like oh we both fucked up like we kind of we fell for each other by kind of rounding each other up into something that we knew we weren't going to be it's two fairly immature characters arriving at a mature conclusion. Yeah. I yeah. I really liked it. And I, I liked how they left it. And I like that it ends with them getting to escape. Yeah. Because Worf admits to not loving Ezri as, as much as Jadzia. Yeah. And the the thing they agree about is that maybe there was a kind of ankylosaur rebound happening. Yeah. And maybe that's all it is. And all that darkness and and like cozy closeness like evaporates when the doors open and like all the light from the hallway is cast on them mm-hmm. and reality enters again and Damar is there with a couple of Jem'Hadars to walk them to their execution and Damar shoots the Jem'Hadars, gives them the rifles and tells them how to escape from Cardassian space. There's a Cardassian patrol ship sitting in Launch Bay 3A, two levels above us. Do we know how Cardassians execute? I feel like that would have been a fun little drip of trivia here. Like, yeah. I wanted to know where, where they were headed. What exactly was going to happen to them. Yeah. Because that helps me be afraid of a thing, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, that helps me get on the side of Worf and Esri if it's like, we're going to stick you in front of a fine mesh screen and push. <laughs> like, <laughs> like that, give me the detail of that so I have something to fear. That would have helped, absolutely. I don't know about you, but I, I fear the known way more than the unknown. Mm-hmm. I, I think that's a great point. That would have been, that would have been good. What an alien culture values is, is so interesting as much as how they choose to kill you, I think. Mm-hmm. You can really learn a lot about a guy, by the way, he'd like to... <laughs> end your life i mean that's classic serial killer pathology right like that's that's where you start like the method of death is how you begin to figure out where a a serial killer is coming from yeah the uh the news reaches weyoon and thotgor and weyoon he just looks like he's had his pants pulled all the way down you know he he is freaking out you know, change leader wants to see him. He knows that that's not going to go well. Yeah, much like Kai Wynn showing up for a meeting right on the heels of the disillusion of the Cisco marriage. <laughs> like, this is a terrible moment for a meeting with change leader if you're Wayun 8. Yeah. But uh, Worf and Ezri heading back to Deep Space Nine with the news that the drunkest man on Cardassia is their friend. You know what's going to be great? In the next episode is uh, Esri and Worf showing up on Deep Space Nine and everyone just being very surprised to see them. <laughs> oh, I remember you guys. There better be an explanation to this when they get back. <laughs> there's, do you think there's a way to tie this up in a way that makes any sense? There's got to be a reason for know, Cisco's inaction here. I wish I felt I like I knew. Yeah, well, we'll find out when the viewers do next week. Yeah. I vote for option one. The button on the episode is Ducat getting his Kai. Yeah, she's uh, she's been turned. She admits to Gal Ducat that her faith in the prophets has always been performative. This was so interesting to me. I always wonder this about, like, the Benny Hins of the world. Like, yeah. like, are these people that are, like, so craven in the way they perform their faith really people that totally lack faith and are, like, terrified by that fact? 
Um, yeah, it, it would seem to be the engine for that performance. Right. And uh, I, uh, God, I think she is so interestingly written. I mean, it really reminded me of like recent political shit in this country. Like the just like, oh, I, I got this power that I didn't, I didn't actually think I was going to get. So I'm going to embrace like the ugliest version of that kind of thing. Right. And assuming a mandate where none exists. Yeah. So she is, uh, she's going full branch Pyrathian. And uh, they're going to walk this path that the Pyrraths have set out for them together. I have worked too hard, waited too long to give it all up now. And the last uh, line of the of the episode is about how they're going to, like, sweep aside the Federation and the Emissary of the Prophets. Pretty dark stuff. It's like, it almost feels like a third front in the war is opening up. Yeah, and the thing is, the Federation doesn't know about this. Yeah. This is still a surprise waiting to happen. Yeah. Well, did you like this episode, Ben? I did like the episode. Um, I know that we're in kind of the early stages of a, of a big, long arc, but um, this felt like a great sequel to a great... Like, last episode and this episode feeling especially related to each other, and this feeling like a great sequel to the last episode is kind of what I'm trying to put my finger on. Yeah, I agree. I keep wanting to consume this series faster in a way that is unfamiliar up until now. Like, I've been pretty happy with watching several episodes a week for the purposes of our show. Mm -hmm. But I keep wanting to watch ahead yeah. in a binge kind of fashion because I want to see where this goes. And I think part of the reason for that is I'm having a hard time predicting where all of this ends. Yeah. I think the show's done a very good job of obscuring what could be uh, pretty tropey situations. Uh, they've managed to avoid things like that in favor of some pretty surprising elements at this point so i'm pretty satisfied with the story as it is right now and i'm looking forward to more there's a pretty rich threading of story going on right now and it's it's really cool to watch i'm enjoying it too yeah adam do you want to see if we have any priority one messages in the inbox p1s always threaded through the fabric of our show like like a hairpiece <laughs> Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Need a supplemental income. Supplemental income? Supplemental. Supplemental. Yeah, it's extra. But the interest alone could be enough to buy this ship. Can't even see the work. Ben, our first priority one message is of a promotional nature. Okay. The message goes like this. Leadership. The final frontier. These are the voyages of the Starfleet Leadership Academy. <laughs> it's an ongoing mission to develop leaders through Star Trek to boldly go where no podcast has gone before. Wow. The Starfleet Leadership Academy is a Star Trek podcast told through the lens of leadership development. Jeff Aiken, a leader with over 20 years of executive management experience, breaks down each episode of Star Trek and points out examples of great leadership, management, Lean Six Sigma and more. Lean Six Sigma? What's that? I was familiar with Six Sigma during some time spent at a previous workplace. Uh, would actually be a little time consuming to go into. But, <laughs> okay. But well. you, can find out, you can find out more about uh, programs like this by uh, looking into the Starfleet Leadership Academy podcast on all the podcast places or by visiting podfollow.com slash SFL. Hey. So yeah, check that out. Kind of a different twist on a Star Trek podcast there. Yeah. I'm guessing there aren't going to be a lot of dick jokes on that one. <laughs> yeah. I'm curious about that podcast. That sounds cool. Uh, our next priority one message, Adam, is from your father. And it is to Leon and Anna Sadowski. And it goes like this. Oh boy, Adam, this looks like it's supposed to be read by you. Oh great! All right. Well, Here's the text. Is it is it supposed to be in a, in a voice? I don't I don't see anything like that. Anyways, since you guys were born, Adam and Ben have been like a couple of guinans to your daddy's Anson Row. They kept my mood up when I was nursing a pink drink and ten forward. <laughs> Consider this your baptism. 
And these two... He's a Borg! Your godfathers. Love, Daddy. Wow. Hey, we just became godparents, Ben. That's all it takes. Oh, boy. That's a lot of responsibility. <laughs> well, I'll try not to be too insulted by the fact, uh, Leon and Anna, that your father had Adam read that and not me. <laughs> right. But, uh, you know, uh, you can come to me for anything, me being your godfather. <laughs> yeah, you're the cool godfather. <laughs> Yeah, we always play a game of good godfather, bad godfather. Right. Anyways, would you like a uh, a cigarette, or can I get you a sandwich or something? <laughs> well, uh, the reading of a priority one is an offer we can never refuse. <laughs> you can uh, you can make sure that we do that by going to maximumfund.org slash jumbotron, where uh, both personal and promotional messages go a long way in support of the ongoing production of this show. Sure do. Hey, Adam. It's that Ben. Did you find yourself a drunk Shimoda? Drunk Shimoda! It feels like I've been very, uh, very actor-centric lately, and I think I'm going to give my Shimoda to Louise Fletcher, who is just expanding into the entire spectrum of character here. Yeah. Like, really, really filling the space with all that Kaiwin can be. I think uh, that's not to say that Kai Wynn's ever been one note or that Louise Fletcher has ever played her that way, but uh, really interesting to see a character like hers go through the stages as she as she has to in this ep. So I think that deserves a Shimoda commendation. So I'm just going to give mine to her. What about you? I'm going to give mine to Wayun. Uh, I just... I love that scene where he's doing bits with Thotgor and the mm. camera pulls back to reveal that Damar is in there also. Yeah. Uh, you know, the cut into two characters like laughing their their bellies off is always a fun moment. And I just, uh, I really like Wayud in this episode. Gotta get that, get that gold press A good time so often has a downside, doesn't it? Especially when it comes to stuff that you put in your birdie. We've all been hungover before. I mean, many of us have, I guess. Or we've had too much jazz in our gummy. And that sucks, right? Because you don't think about the time after the good time that you've been trying to have a good time. That's why I like Lumi Labs so much. It's the predictability. Through painstaking trial and error, I have found my perfect dose. It's what I can depend on when I can use a little more chill, a little help getting into a creative headspace, and I don't need to have too much fun doing whatever it is I need to be doing. And I'm so glad that Microdose is available nationwide. That means just about anyone can try it. To learn more about microdosing THC, go to microdose.com and use the code SCARVES to get free shipping and 30% off your first order. Again, that's microdose.com and the code is SCARVES. You might have heard us talk about Squarespace before and you're thinking, what do I need a website for? I already have a bunch of profiles across the different social medias. But isn't it time you had a place online that wasn't owned by a social media company? How about you take control of your online identity with a website of your own? For that, there's Squarespace. With Squarespace, you can buy a URL and build a customized website with your name and not a giant social media company's name with your name attached and a bunch of numbers at the end. With Squarespace, you can have a place on the internet personalized to your aesthetic that lets you tell people about who you are instead of an algorithm. And the best part is, you don't have to be an experienced designer or a web page creator to make something great because Squarespace is always there for you with their award-winning 24x7 customer support. Don't settle for being another company's product. Be your own product with a website that's all you with Squarespace. Go to squarespace.com for a free trial, and when you're ready to launch, use the offer code SCARVES to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. That's squarespace.com. The code is SCARVES. Think it. Dream it. Make it with Squarespace. It has been a long time coming that podshop.biz is as good as it is. The stuff on there is just really high quality, and there's a ton of variety. We've got t-shirts and sweatshirts, obviously, but we've got hats, we've got mugs, we've got water bottles, patches, mouse pads, shower shoes. There's so much great stuff on there. 
I'm really proud of what we have on offer. I'm proud that the store has a lot of really great size inclusive options. And uh, I think there's enough variety that just about any friend of DeSoto could find something that they'd really love to have in their collection at podshop.biz. So head over there and give it a look. Why don't you? Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. We've got another episode coming up, Ben. It's the, uh, what is it, part four. Yeah. Do you want to head to the Game of Buttholes, the Will of the Prophets, at gach.biz slash game? And I will tell you about Season 7, Episode 20, The Changing Face of Evil. The war reaches a crucial turning point when the Cardassian leader breaks from the Dominion Breen Alliance. It happened faster than I was expecting. I thought that they were going to like have Damar kind of lay back in the cut for a little while. I know. Well, we're in kind of a hurry. I guess so. Yeah, we are sprinting toward the end. Uh, we're, we're running out of season runway, aren't we? Yeah. You're required to learn as you play. Roll. Well, uh, thanks to your great roll, Ben... Uh, we are currently on square 63 of the Game of Buttholes, Will of the Prophets, and I've got a die in my hand. It's up to me to decide how far we go with this roll. Okay. Lay a roll on us, my friend. And I've rolled a four. Chula! Did I win? Hardly. Which sticks us on square 67. Okay. That's uh, that's on the doorstep of a Jay Gordon episode and safely into a regular old episode. So we keep climbing toward our eventual end goal of a Mornhammered episode. Yeah. What, I mean, if we if we have to be Mornhammered on on the finale of this series, which is a you know a double hour hour and thirty minute long episode, <laughs> we're gonna be so fucked. Is the Finale, a two-hour episode? Yeah, it's a, uh, it's, it's a double. Are we making the Greatest Generation episode a double, or are we splitting up the hours? I think it aired as one thing, and I think it is kind of one thing, so... Wow. You know how it's going to end up happening, is that we're going to hit the Mornhammered episode, like three episodes from the finale? <laughs> 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 for the for the pre penultimate episode, and then yeah. what do we do? Oh boy! A hungover finale episode. Yeah, us. that's what it'll be. Can hardly wait. Yeah, me neither. Um, hey, it's the holiday season as of the release of this episode. It's a bit. It, it's like last minute if you're uh, if you're a Christmas person, and um, a great last minute shopping idea is uh, gifting a membership to The Greatest Generation to your favorite friend of DeSoto. you got a friend that, that likes this show but isn't doesn't have access to the bonus feed, uh, consider getting them that. Uh, just head to MaximumFun.org slash join 
and you can find information about how to set up a gift membership there. Here's an idea. Uh, you can bewilder a friend of yours by, by giving a Maximum Fund membership as a white elephant gift <laughs> that they didn't ask for. Oh, yeah. Imagine the look of confusion as yeah. they open up the envelope and see membership to Maximum Fund. What the hell did my secret Santa even do? <laughs> what is this? There's always one of those in yeah. a white elephant gift exchange. Yeah. And that could be yours. Uh, we really appreciate it. You know, obviously it's been kind of a tough year for a lot of people. And uh, we've been fortunate to survive this. But, uh, you know, if, if, if you got a couple extra bucks in your in your pocket and are in a position to throw it our way for whatever reason, we really, really appreciate it. And uh, we also really appreciate the free ways that people support our show by recommending it to a friend or uh, posting about how much they like it on social media or leaving us a nice review on Apple Podcasts or whatever podcast app they use to get the show. It's always exciting to see how many people are, are listening week to week. Pretty fun. Indeed. And to see how many people are watching. Yeah. Look at how many people are watching the show right now, Ben. Crazy. Look at that. Oh, man. The comments are full. <laughs> I'm going to give them a wave. Uh, they really appreciated that. All those hearts just started bubbling up. Um, hey, we got to thank Bill Tilly, who runs the social media accounts at Greatest Trek on Instagram and Twitter. We also got to thank Adam Ragusia, who made the original theme music for the program, riffing off the work of Dark Materia, who also gave us permission to use their work. And... Uh, we really appreciate everybody that helps us get this thing to the folks every week. Filled with gratitude. Well, with that, we'll be back at you next time with another great episode of Star Trek Deep Space Nine and an episode of The Greatest Generation Deep Space Nine that is just a week away from the end of 2020. <laughs> When people are like listening back to this as an episode that they're just binging in 2024, they're going to be like, what was the big deal about 2020? I can't even remember. Yeah. It's all been downhill since then. <laughs> and then that person walks out of their hole in the ground to go forage for food. <laughs> we joke, but uh, <laughs> we've made worse predictions come through <laughs> before. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.